0: Probably one of the most intimidating things, and we and the three of us have experienced this pretty well, which is you can find a thousand and one players. It's hard to, harder to find somebody who's going to run the game itself. Very oh yeah.
1: True. to that, I would say, if you're a player, if you've enjoyed playing tabletop RPGs and you've never ran a game in whatever system is your your, your soup de jour, if you will, just consider it, please. We want to play so bad we just want to play uh but no honestly give it a shot like uh if you've got a group that you trust and and you've you know been with them for a while or even just a little bit give it a shot and if they're mean uh let me know and i'll come kick them in the shins or something
0: just a reminder this is a spoiler heavy podcast Different series that require a spoiler warning will be in the description. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Theater Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about helpful hints to start being a tabletop game master or Basically GMing 101. This is a episode that we have been talking about doing, which is to help out people who haven't haven't game mastered a tabletop game. And so these are super helpful insta that should be able to be worked with almost any system on it. And so if you've ever game mastered a game before, a good way to start or to know what things that you might want to keep an eye out and to get ease yourself into that. And to help me out with this, I've got two of my favorite Game Masters on my, on the podcast, and let's us introduce ourselves on this. And once again, my name is Leo. I am the Geek Scorpio.
1: Hello, my name is Dean Dane. Uh, I'm a Game Master. <coughs> I don't know why that was awkward for me. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, I, I've been playing uh, Dungeons & Dragons, and other tabletop games, for near on 20 years. Uh, I'm also a, a Twitch streamer where I do run some tabletop games, uh, on occasion, hoping to run more.
2: That did feel a little bit like an AA, like, hi, my <laughs> name is Rob, and I'm a game master.
1: <laughs> hi, <I'm>, uh, Rob.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I'm Rob. Um, I do a little bit of voice acting for gaming theater. Uh, I am a game designing student, uh, and I'm also running the upcoming, uh, gaming theater role plays which hopefully you get to hear our players uh, muddle through their own adventures. Um, but I've also been a uh, game master for about 20 years, maybe a little bit longer, well, long uh, enough that I would have to do math to figure it out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'll be honest. I said 20 years cause it was a nice round number. I I don't know if that's like, it's probably, there's probably more, right?
0: right. <laughs> but like, oh, well, I'm just going to go with 20. <laughs> that's okay. I'm like, figure out how much Dana's doing. Cut it in half. That's your number, Leo. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> um, but any let's before we get started, let's take a trip to the Magical Merch Booth.
3: Whoa. Whoa.
0: Yeah. Ah, here we are with the Magical Merch Booth. And as appropriately mentioned, uh, apparently they have manuals and dice and an awfully large assortment of pencils and paper and it looks like they're wanting to show off a couple of new games that you're working on rob so why don't you tell us about a new podcast channel that we are starting soon
2: yep that's right uh gaming theater role plays or gtrp uh we're gonna be running a game using the cortex classic system mixed with the cortex prime system or as i'm afraid affectionately referring to it Franken uh where we've combined the best of both. Anyway, our players are playing as members of the Andrea's Cauldron Police Department, a fantasy city with elves and dwarves and wands that also has a functioning police department that deals with things like murder and illegal street racing. Uh, it's going to be a fun time for all. So hopefully you'll join in and uh, listen to our players do incredible things and screw up royally. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I'm sold. Where can we find that?
2: Uh, You can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts as well as anywhere that gaming theater uh, podcasts or other gaming theater things (laughs) are listened to.
0: Yep. And I'll put links over those other channel stuff in the description. So as well, we'll probably even expand to other such systems, such as Dungeons and Dragons Some massive amounts of different role playing games that are out there. But for now, let's get our way back to the show. Okay, so with this, um, this, like I said before, is mostly for people who have never game mastered a game before. Game mastering, in its general terms, you've probably heard it before as dungeon mastering, but that's specific to Dungeons and Dragons. But game mastering is sort of the general term for being the guy in charge, the person who's running, narrating the storyline, as opposed to the players who are playing through the game that that you have. Now, Probably one of the most intimidating things, and we and the three of us have experienced this pretty well, which is you can find a thousand and one players. It's hard to find, harder to find somebody who's going to run the game itself. Very oh yeah.
1: True. To that, I would say, if you're a player, if you've enjoyed playing tabletop RPGs and you've never ran a game in whatever system is your 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 soup du jour, if you will, <laughs> just consider it, please. <laughs> We want to play so bad. We just want to play. Uh, but no, honestly, give it a shot. Like, uh, if you've got a group that you trust and, and you've you know been with them for a while or even just a little bit, give it a shot. And if they're mean, uh, let me know and I'll come pu- kick them in the shins or something.
2: Yeah, I, I think every player who plays D&D should GM at least once. Mm, 100%. You know, it's okay if it's not your thing. That's, yeah, that's yeah. perfectly fine. You know, but... You should experience it at least once if for no other reason than to understand what your GM is going through.
1: Well, I don't think it's, it's asking too much necessarily. Cause I think that, uh, and I don't think the players are at fault for this. I want to make that very clear, but I do think that there is sort of this thought of like, oh, well, you just create the story as you go along. Like how hard could it be? How difficult could it be? And like, not they intended in a mean spirit, the players intended in a mean spirited or, or, Uh, malicious way, but like running a game, at least at the beginning, or even sometimes even to the end, is difficult. Mm -hmm. It's work. You know, uh, it's as little or as much work as you need to put into it, right? But there are you know, prepping a session of D&D for me, I could do no prep, but typically I do about an hour or two per game of prep, just for my own, like, peace of mind. It's not necessary. It's not needed. I probably could model my way through it well enough with just the thoughts in my head. But, you know, that's that's two hours out of my life that I'm fitting in, in between work and school and home life and other obligations and, you know, that I, I, I could free up. But running a game is a lot of work. Mm. And I think that even just having that realization as a player because uh, you might think you know, right? But until you're like in the hot seat being like, ah, there's a goblin. He's Six feet tall. I don't know why. His name, uh, Jim. Jim the Goblin, and he's a carpenter. Like until you're like in that moment, it's hard to really I think understand, mm-hmm. other than on a conceptual level, how much work running a game actually. Yeah. Is.
2: Um, and and not to scare anyone off because no, the fact of no. the matter is, yes, it's work, but it's also fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's
1: so rewarding. Like it's so rewarding.
2: It, I enjoy playing. As much as the next, I, I would so much rather be GMing mm-hmm. in, yeah. in almost every instance. And I don't think I would have thought that from the get go, from, from when I first started playing, I probably wouldn't have realized how much fun it was, but because I gave it a shot and realized, yeah, this is a lot of work, but oh my gosh, I'm enjoying it so much. You might have that realization too. And you'll never know until you try.
1: Yeah, and I think for Rob, I think you're probably feeling similar to the way I am, and Leo, I'm sure you you feel similar as well. Uh, when you put a story beat in front of your players, or you you create a scene, or you you go through a scenario, whatever whatever the system looks like, and you see their face light up, and they're like. I can do this thing or like, Oh, I do this thing or like that. They have that like
0: that aha moment or like,
1: yeah, like a gotcha moment yeah. where they're like, they think they've got one over on you and you're just like super stoked about it. It's the best feeling in the world when you're friends or the people you're playing with, you're soon to be friends. Hopefully you're playing games with your mm-hmm. friends, whether they're new friends or old friends. Hopefully they're your friends. Uh, everyone deserves to game with friends. I think, mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, when they're just like, ha-ha, I cast Fireball, and you're like, oh, no, my carefully laid plan, you, like, you ham it up a little yeah. bit, but, like, mm-hmm. it's
2: and, the best and on feeling in the note, world. There, I, I think that is probably the second most entertaining thing in the world, the first most entertaining in the world thing to me. Is when I hit players with a curveball that they genuinely did not
0: see coming. Oh,
1: that's really good too. That's a good feel too. A
0: good feeling that yep, I yeah. have is usually when uh, I watch my players use the similar tactics to beat like all my puzzles, and then they put and and this it's very advanced game mastering. If you can pull it off, it's so rewarding to watch them panic for a second because they realize they cannot solve this problem by punching their way out of this.
1: Yes. <laughs> Throwing throwing carefully constructed roadblocks, whether it's combat, social, or other encounters. Uh, cause not every encounter, just as a note, needs to be a combat scenario, mm-hmm. right? Uh I've had way more fun playing politic and watching my players sweat as they're, you know, fighting socially this baron who they can't just murder outright, because there'll be consequences. They have to like play 4D chess with this guy, and I'm just sitting there like steepling my fingers, laughing maniacally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think all three of the th- the things that we put forth here feel incredible, and I think they match, for me at least, they match if not exceed the excitement I get from getting like a cool crit or a cool moment mm-hmm. or a cool you know scene in whatever game I'm playing, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or otherwise. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing like it. That 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 exhilaration when your players are like oh my god I can do this thing or like oh we've got you DM haha take that and you're like no my plans oh god or they have stop, to take don't. one
0: big gamble and hope for the best and it barely yeah pays oh off.
1: and it pays off oh my god or like or they roll like a nat 20 yeah. at D and D or like you know they, they get a critical success in whatever system it is uh yeah like I'm celebrating with them yeah. you know like they're screwing me over technically because I'm, I'm I don't agree in the whole like adversarial GM hmm. mindset I don't think that the game master or dungeon master is there to be an enemy to the players. But like we're sometimes we're playing the bad guys, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. That happens. Uh and like seeing them be like okay, either a certain death or I'm going to succeed and it all comes down to that one role and it works, you're just like,
0: "Oh my god, it's so cool." Mm-hmm. As a good GM, you would basically be we're we're in it with you. We're in it with all the players on that. If you're winning and we're yeah. ha- having a good time, it's all a good time there.
1: And I think that's a good thing before we get into kind of the minutiae to mention mm-hmm. that like as a GM, I think you should be intrinsically tied to the happiness of your players. Because as long as, like, and you should be having fun too. Don't get me <clears> wrong. It should not just be their fun. But as long as your players are having fun, you'll probably have fun as a game master.
2: Yeah, I think for a lot of, a lot of GMs when they're first starting out, you know, when you've only seen it from the player's side, it's easy to think it's GM versus players. It's easy mm-hmm. to think they're trying, you know. I've set out these things, but really, that's not what it's about. The goal isn't to beat your players. No, the goal isn't even for your players to beat the monsters. Although that's that's often what winds up happening. Mm-hmm. The goal is to have fun, and fun can be a lot of different things. You know, it could be. It is fun to beat a uh, you know a big boss monster that had these cool moveset. set. You know, but it's also sometimes fun to fail. It's fun to have your character have this dramatic death that has a meaningful impact on the story. Yeah. That's fun too. You know, it's it's fun to convince that baron to finally give you those resources that you need to help him out. It's fun to catch the murderer mm-hmm. and turn him over to the police. You know, there's there's all sorts of things that are fun and enjoyable that, you know, it's not just the fun of, "Oh, I've I have this monster and my players are going to beat it. And that is inherently fun. There's so many th- ways to have fun.
1: Yes. And that's, that's, that's the joy of TTRPG. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, you're sitting around a table making make believe with your friends. Yeah. Like, and that's amazing. And it's, it's <laughs> great. And it's wonderful. But yeah, like the adventure can be anything. Mm-hmm. Your successes, your failures, you know, anything. Ah, oh, it's so, that's cool. it. I so fun. Thing. I love this hobby. So,
0: yeah. Um, so here are some of the things that you want to do, and as a GM, a game master, nine times out of ten, you're going to be the one who's leading this. We're gonna go through a couple of little hints of things that I think you. Number one, and this is the part, the way I've always figured it out: figure out what kind of game that you want to play, like what settings, what world, which way you want to go. Um, one of the funnest campaigns I've had is in Western. Then I've also had games that have take place as a science fiction or a sci-fi Western, like. Firefly-type situation. Um, but understand the role that you want to do. Now, the reason why I think this is important because this is, gives people expectations. Uh, it was something I read in the Cortex system, which they make a note about, which I always thought was interesting. If you can figure out, or what type of set area that you're working with, you can figure out what things you can just assume is going to happen. So, for example, if you are taking place at, uh, of your setting in anything that's about... Um, let's say 1600s, seventeen hundred eighty, and and going on uh, or higher. Reading and writing is a base skill that most people just have. So you never have to worry about people making a check for this. Yeah. Um, or, uh, and this came up, we were doing a sci-fi campaign. I'm like, and one of the skills is how to fly a shuttle. Oh, craft. i like, do we need a skill? Not if you're grocery shopping or something like that. You would probably just know how to do that because that's how that world works. Or like, In a modern setting, like today, we won't really consider driving as a, even though in real life, driving is a learned skill that you have to figure out. But for the purpose of the game, there's no reason to roll for it unless it's like a high-speed car chase or anything like that. In in modern times,
2: most people know how to drive a car. They don't know how to drive a car over a ramp and successfully land a jump, but they know how to get down to the grocery
0: store and back. Mm -hmm. You're not wanting to play the game as a medieval fantasy. Don't. You're not stuck with just your standard one. That's just how the game works out for it. And a lot of systems are very fluid to be able to move around for it, so you don't need to worry too much about it. But picking your setting is a good way to go. And uh, most game masters end up, uh, a lot of times, unfortunately, a game master will, uh, once they get skilled enough, will be like, hey, I want to play X game, and finding players is not hard. I will say,
1: (laughs) too, oh, God, Rob.
0: Yeah,
2: it's, that's that's one thing to know. If you want to be a game master, you will never have a problem finding a party. That's <laughs> that's just how it works. Yeah,
1: 100%. And I will say, too, being a game master is a design and is, is an exercise in flexibility. Mm. So, you know, you may want to run this super awesome spaghetti space western a la Cowboy Bebop, Firefly, whatever. And you're like... Man, I've got such this cool idea and it's amazing, and I'm so excited for this storyline, da-da-da-da-da. And you've like, you start putting in hours and hours and hours of work and you're researching and you've got this whole, you know, idea in mind. And then you take it to your players and they don't buy in. Now, there's a couple of reasons for this, I think, and some things that that I think should be you need to be flexible, right? Mm -hmm. And I would very much caution you against doing all of the groundwork without talking to the players or the people you want to play first. Mm-hmm. um there's this thing called session zero which has become more and more popular which is amazing where you sit down and you have uh, a talk with your players about their expectations what kind of game are they interested in what kind of game are you interested in running um what are some you know topics that are okay what are some topics that may not be okay because uh, everyone's got different levels of comfortability mm-hmm. in certain things you know maybe maybe they've got a fear of space so being a you know a, a taut space-based game, might not be great for them um as, as an example so i think that you know while having an idea in mind and visualizing the setting and making sure that you know what kind of game you want to run that is important but also equally important is talking to your players to find out what game they want to play and they may not care right mm-hmm. but the conversation is will not hurt you any
0: yeah i think more popular now is session 0 and i and I've ran several of those ones. It's really nice to get a sort of a feel of which way a person, uh, your your players want to go. Um, one of the things that I ran the session zero for was because I knew I was going to run a uh, more modern day campaign, and I kind of wanted, but with like a supernatural was was like in super in the world of supernatural. And I was wondering if anyone in this campaign wanted to like which. If you've ever watched the show Supernatural, they touch on a lot of different concepts. And one of the things that they didn't want that we that my players didn't want to deal with was a human enemy. All the enemies had to be supernatural in nature. They didn't want to deal with some of the human stuff that is out there. And I get it. This is just not that it's not whether it's comfortable. And another person which I was a player in actually did something kind of interesting. Um they put up a sort of a, uh, like, a a survey for their Session Zero. And the survey was how comfortable you are with these topics. So, like, how comfortable you are with true crime, how comfortable you are with uh, sex scenes, how comfortable you are with with other, like, criminal activities. And this was just sort of, so the, the Game Master just knew what not to do, what things were... Or triggering or th- things were just nobody wanted to deal with this. And that's fair. Yeah, and I think um, that
2: on that same note, too, it's, it's the best way to find out why your players are interested, what they do want to do. You know, mm-hmm. we, we're, when you're wanting to tailor your game mm-hmm. to be entertaining for your players, there's especially as a DM or a GM. And in a, there's a lot of I need to keep this thing secret so I can surprise my players with it later. And that winds up seeping into a lot of places that it shouldn't. It winds up cutting off communication between your players a little bit.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh and really, for a lot of stuff, the best thing is to just be open with your players, especially when you're talking about this. How do you know what kind of play or what kind of game your players want to play? You ask them. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's how you find the answer. You don't just have to like secretly observe. You can just say, hey, what are you interested in?
0: Yeah, and sometimes this helps out because maybe they want a more combat-focused uh, campaign. Campaign about a mystery or some kind of politicking or some kind of... or And this is one of my favorite campaigns I got to run, which is simply we were all people who are wanting to assassinate one particular target but our disguises were everyone was a maid inside this mansion. And so we all Hmm. were just, uh, there was our assistant called maid and you were just a bunch of maids, but we turned it into a a bad anime assassination plot because that's what we wanted to do for this. And it was interesting ways to come up with it. It doesn't, a session zero is just you talking to your players and this helps a lot because it lets you talk to them outside of the game as, as a game session. So you can reserve time for it or even more importantly, how long or how engrossing does this game? Do you want this to be a one-shot where it's where I, I only got time to do this once and we call it a day? Or a long-streaming campaign? Or something that should be free-flowing where multiple players can just go in and out? Or one that has a single person as a focused character? And lots of things can be done that
2: way. Kind of on that note, um, when you're talking about running your very first session as a GM, I would very, very strongly recommend a one shot as opposed to a long drawn out campaign. You know, I'm not saying you shouldn't do the long campaign Mm -hmm. eventually, but your first time GMing, there's got to be mistakes that happen. There's going to be a lot of things that you didn't think would come up that suddenly come up. And a one shot is a really good way to figure those things out without long-term consequences. You know, you have this one shot and your players die that's okay. Well, your player characters style. That's okay. It's a one shot. They weren't going to last beyond this session anyway. You know, you have you accidentally give them an incredibly powerful magical item that could that's totally game breaking. That's okay. This is a one shot. It's not going to be there next time. Um, it's so it's really important, I think, to have this be a one shot, so that way, whatever you screw up or don't doesn't have long-term consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, after you do your one-shot, then, then you can start planning out, okay, now I kind of know what I'm doing. Now let's do a longer campaign.
1: A little bit more of a minutia detail. I, I would agree. Um, kind of bouncing off what Rob said about magic items, too. Like, we're all establishing relationships here between the game master and the players. And as such... If you do something that breaks your game, let's say you give, uh, you know, a level 1 adventurer a +3 vorpal sword in D&D. Like that's a strong mm-hmm. item, and that character is going to be pretty dang strong. And if you didn't think about it or you weren't sure the, you know, consequences of it and you get to, you know, two or three sessions down the road from them having this object and you go, "Oh no, like what have I done?" There are ways that you can work around those things, right? you are not necessarily stuck. You can talk to your players and go, Hey, this is what I intended for that item. It's proving a little bit strong. Can we adapt it? Can we change it? Can we work towards, you know, maybe you only have a plus one Vorpal sword, or maybe you have a plus one sword that just crits more often, or, you know, and then through the course of the narrative, we can, uh, power up your weapon back to where it was when I gave it to you. Would that be okay? Or, I mean, you have your hand on a dial, so you can ratchet up that difficulty uh, or bring it down for the entire game. You know, maybe that person gets a a really strong weapon or item, but then doesn't get anything else intended for them for a while. You know, it's somebody else's turn. It's the rogue's turn or the the detective's turn or whomever. Um, You have the power to adapt your game to suit the needs of you and your players as long as they're in line yeah so don't be afraid that if you've given a magical item in a one shot and that one shot becomes a campaign that you're like oh no i gave them the helm of disintegration they just disintegrate everything forever it's like okay well maybe now there's somebody making disintegrate proof items because this is an issue now um, or they
0: bump into a curse which changes part of the item for it, or readjust yeah. it. And you flexibility is important. Like, if there's one key thing that you need to know as a, ga- a game master, I believe uh, being able to adjust is the way to go. Don't fight mm-hmm. if you make a mistake, don't worry about it. There are ways to fix it, like in game, if they can't fix it get out of game, and ideally, your players aren't going to fight you too much if they understand, like, hey, this is just. Super game breaking right now, and and it will, and you're just going to psych the uh, you just have to limit that, yeah. I mean, and it's
2: it's easy to worry about upsetting your players, um, but just remember, these are your friends, you know, these aren't hopefully these aren't people who dislike you as a person, (laughs) yeah, um, you know, that and if they're unwilling to compromise or hear you out. Maybe they're not your friends and maybe you shouldn't be playing with them.
1: Or Remember,
2: you're the GM. You're never going to have a problem finding new party members. (laughs) True. True.
1: And even if they are your friends, maybe your game is not the game they should be in. You know, like not every game is going to be perfect for every player. You know, some people like uh, zaniness and silliness Mm -hmm. and, you know, I want to be a sentient gingerbread cookie man. And like, sometimes that's Okay. But other times, people want something a little bit more based in reality. And so, like, just because you're friends with these people doesn't mean you have to be in their game, Mm -hmm. first of all. But second of all, you know, you can still be friends and not game together in this way. And maybe, you know, the next game they run will be more your speed or more your style. Uh, You don't, you you can be flexible. You have the ability to choose what game you play in. I know that sounds silly and kind of like a Mm no-duh, but... I think it bears saying it
0: bears saying because this does come up you you mm-hmm. if you've gone on the internet and checked out any of these stories about from or even talk to people about stories about game mastering some of them will have some that are heartache some of them will have some that are just ridiculously stressful and others have, have, have problems with it but there's ways around it. There's ways to take care of it. And though, and don't be afraid of those. Those are so rare and one off. That's why people have stories about them because they're so rare and one off. On that, yeah, it's it's easy to think because of the internet <laughs> that
2: all players you ever run across to are secretly problem players, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that's really not the case. Those are just you know, it's those are interesting stories when you have the player that did the crazy thing that really ticked everyone off. Yeah, but you know that. For a lot of people, they only have the one story because it just doesn't happen that often. Most of the most of your players are reasonable people who also want to have fun.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if they're not, maybe their game isn't maybe your game isn't the right one for them. Or maybe their play style isn't the right one for this specific game. And that's that's okay.
0: Um. So I think moving on from the next subject, which is number two, that I think is an important thing. Now that you've talked to your players, figured out which way you want to go, I think number two would be a good way to do. Know which system is the right one for your game. Um, and we, we, Dan, have to, and Rob have talked about this before. It is not every, you, it's not every system works well with the type of game that you're playing. That doesn't mean that there isn't one out there or that this can't be adjusted. For example, um, Cortex. Uh, one of the funniest things about it is very It's very open-ended for it, but that open-ended is a double-edged sword just because you can do all these cool things because uh, even though you have a simple item, sometimes they're really, or a simple skill, sometimes they're really conflict. uh, It it also can hamstring you because you don't have that particular skill.
2: Cortex is, is wonderful because it's very flexible and open and it can do a lot of different genres and that's a problem. Because it can do a lot of different genres, and it, a lot of Cortex games, there are there are games that are set with for like a specific show or franchise or whatever. But if you're just talking about the basic Cortex system, it does not come with its own setting. It does not. There's a lot of details that are left open for the GM to figure out, uh, and for some GMs, thrive on that. They love that. Others might
0: find that very intimidating. Mm-hmm. Like one of the big strengths with Dungeons and Dragons, especially in 5e, is that a lot of things are spelled out for you. So because of that, though, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that you can just specifically do, which is really uh, great because um, sometimes you just want to have these combat scenarios and sessions on it, and Dungeons and Dragons works with that really well because it's all laid out the way that you need to in its description.
2: Yeah, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons has a big old list of monsters that you can just pick from, and it tells you. Mm-hmm. hey, this is how difficult this monster is for a party of this level. And here's a whole big old list of magical items, potential rewards that you can be giving your players. You know, it's stuff that you don't have to figure out yourself. Mm-hmm. It's just there for you to pick from. And that is really, really nice sometimes.
1: And games like Dungeons and & Dragons and Pathfinder do have their own rule sets, which are fairly clear a lot of the time. But there are still some like weird edge cases and, and some weird uh rulings that like you have to make a call on it's not going to be spelled out for you it's like well okay does this make sense if x y and z yeah i guess it does or oh no it doesn't uh that won't necessarily be spelled out in the books for you you know like they they have no idea how much damage uh like there's a guideline for how much damage a cow does if you drop it from orbit onto your enemy Mm -hmm. but in practice like there's some things that I think realistically would have to go into that thought process of like, where's this cow coming from? Magic? Okay. Uh, does it burn up on reentry in the atmosphere? Like, I mean, and this is a silly example, but there are some things that will not be included in the rulebook, even in games like DD and and Pathfinder that are a bit more spelled out, that eventually you will get more comfortable just making a ruling on, being like, no, I don't think that works that way. or Oh, yeah, I could see that. That's a good argument.
2: Yeah, one uh, thing in particular with d and I think that it struggles with is there aren't really rules for social encounters. No, God, you know, please. Dungeons and Dragons is a fantastic game and it's very, very popular for good reason. It's a well thought out system for what it does. And what it does is exploring dungeons and fighting monsters like dragons. You know, if you, if you can you have a social encounter with you know, a nobleman or a merchant or just an urchin on the street uh, using Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. Yeah, you absolutely can. But that's not what the system is designed for. And so if socialization is going to be the main thing that you're doing in your in your campaign or in your session or whatever, maybe d d is not
0: the right choice for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be honest, you know, I, I love the Cortex system, uh, systems, excuse mm-hmm. me, but they are not very crunchy. They are not. There is not a lot of crunch to them. If you are a person who likes rolling a bunch of dice and adding things up and and having like numbers in front of you that equate to things, Cortex may not be the right system for you. But if you want like a narrative storytelling vibe, Cortex is incredible.
0: <laughs> um there's
1: one not to say that Cortex doesn't have crunch. It just has not as much crunch as other systems potentially out there. Yeah,
2: there's, you know, you're you're not leveling up your character and picking from a dozen different things that that your character class can do.
0: Yeah, yeah. like GURPS is oh, and that's so fluid. It's designed to use everything, mm-hmm. but sometimes just staring at all those numbers for things I may never, never, ever use in this game.
1: Yeah, it can be overwhelming. Can be... I mean, Shadowrun, Shadowrun, yeah.
0: Like, oh my gosh, Shadowrun. You,
1: <laughs> you have to have a degree to understand Shadowrun, and I don't. Oh. I love Shadowrun. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's amazing. And some people out there might be like, "Well, it's not that hard for me." And like, if that if you're one of those people, dope. Run with it. Yeah. But like, I get lost in Shadowrun in in both a good and a frustrating mm-hmm.
0: way. Uh, cyberpunk. I was looking over the books for that one because i was thinking about running a Cyberpunk campaign, and I'm sitting here getting kind of lost because of how their their system works out. Like, it makes sense to read it. And the only reason that and the reason why it makes sense is I, I couldn't run a regular campaign because I'm not used to the net hacking fact sh- uh, thing that you have to deal with. And it's sure. a big deal in cyberpunk. And so because of that, the, I had to reread those rules again uh, like several times on it before it finally crunched in my head. But it makes mm-hmm. sense for that world because there's a cyberpunk aspect to it. Um, it's not a straight uh, combat one like Dungeons and Dragons are, which is fine. That's the way that that system w- uh, works with.
1: Yeah, um, and I think what this really illustrates, even just the, the couple of systems, and there are so many more other games out there that you can explore. If you are into anything, there's probably a TTRPG for you, whether it's, you know, Anime Robot Cat Girls or uh, Murder Most Foul. Mm-hmm. Like, hopefully not murdering real people, just murder <laughs> your friends on paper, uh, just as a disclaimer here. But uh, you can find a game that will fit your style and your theme and what you're interested in. It's out there, I promise you. Yeah, I mean... During the pandemic, just to give a quick example, I kickstarted, I think, five or six different systems from a heist game to an Avatar The Last Airbender based game to uh, you throw a rock at a property or an idea that you like, and there's going to be a system out there for you. I can't speak to the quality of it necessarily.
0: (laughs) That's a different conversation.
1: Yeah, but there's probably something out there. And if there's not, chances are there's a system out there that you can adapt to do the lifting of what you need.
0: Yeah, some of them are really weird ones. Like, if you want one that's kind of a similar narrative, one that was interesting that I bumped into was they have two different... Like, it's made by the same company, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has two completely different systems for their world. One that's Hmm. before an apocalypse and one that's after an apocalypse. (laughs) And that is a short story that happened once in in, in TMNT... But they had a whole camp, but there was a tabletop about that. Um, That's cool. A weird one that I bumped into was uh, I bumped into a Buffy the Vampire Slayer campaign. And the reason why it was weird to me was because the game can't start unless one person picks to be the Slayer. But they can only have one Slayer in the game at any given time.
1: Interesting. So are the rest
0: kind of like supporting cast? Everyone else is support, or or they call white hats in that game. So everyone else can play. And which and the the Slayer is guaranteed to have stats that are bit bigger than well, everyone else because of that, but you can only have one. Interesting.
2: And so and so we're talking about you know different systems and their strengths and weaknesses, but what should you use for you game for your game? The the short answer, and honestly, I feel like the most important answer is the system you are most familiar with.
1: Mm-hmm. Whatever if, works best for you.
2: If you have been playing in D&D for a long time and now you want to GM and you're sitting there like what system should I choose? You should choose D&D. Because your first game isn't necessarily about, you know, picking the right the right setting or the right world. Your first game is meant to get you used to the idea of GMing.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's easiest to do if you know the system well. now that doesn't mean that
1: there's nothing wrong with yeah Yeah, I
0: think we're on the same boat there's nothing wrong with just picking up because I've done that and just dived headfirst into a new system and sometimes that's kind of a weird experience to it because everyone else who might be playing with you is diving headfirst into this new system so are you doing anything wrong who knows
1: yeah and there, there could be some frustrations with that right you know not knowing the game the game may not be as smooth there are there are some pros and cons right to both both approaches um, if you if, use the D and D example, if you've been playing D and D, you've no D and D, you might be more comfortable running D and D and there's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. that. But if your group is kind of like, ah, D and D's great, but you know, we really want to try something else. That's also really good. And I think that the three of us have played a wide variety of systems. Um, and that it, it bears repeating that the try different systems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I love D and D. D and D was my first tabletop RPG. It's always going to be, you know, near and dear to my heart. I've played every edition so far of D and D, and hope to continue that trend uh, right. until I cease to be. But it's not the best game for everything, and it's not the only game out there. There's a lot of good
2: ones. Mm-hmm. A Lot of good, like ones. my first. And honestly, okay. using a using a new system like like that, you know, where your players are maybe constantly playing one style. Is actually a really good way to get your foot in the door as a GM, mm-hmm. you know. Who, it's just like, yeah, we've been playing d Hey, guys, why don't we try this other system that I found? You know, I, I, I think it's pretty neat. I know it's not our usual style, but I'd like to try my hand at GMing and I'd like to try this new game. That's yeah. a great way to get in with players that you already know that you have already played with, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and it's and it's absolutely great for a one shot too because it's just like, hey, let's let's try this system just this once and whether or not it works out, that's fine. We can go back to our regular weekly game after. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think uh, that's a really good point, especially because as DMs and GMs, and this, this will come up a little bit later. I think I'm, I'm jumping the shark just a little bit, but like burnout is something that you are always going to have to combat. Yes. In any sort of creative field, not just tabletop RPGs, but, but burnout is hard in general. But it's also it also it can also be hard as a game master and so you know let's say in, in the example given of hey can we try out this different system just this once it's like a one shot and then we can go back to our regular scheduled game you know if you talk if you're a player in a game and you're interested in running a game talk to your GM talk to your DM and, and be like hey Susie uh, I'm considering running this game uh, I, I found this system I'm really interested in it do you think there's a point that you would like a break? As the DM, would you like to play in a one shot or, or, you know, what have you, and just see what the system's like, you know, is there, is there a point coming up where the story could, could, uh, take a break season, wrap? Yeah. Yeah, You know, like the season is over, right? The end credits roll. We've defeated the big bad, uh, but we're going to be back for the next season later. Uh, and you know, this will give you time to prep or plan for your next steps. Cause sometimes, you know, you, as a DM or a GM, you just need a week or two
0: off from thinking about the game i'll be honest as a gm um that's like my biggest flaw and you'll see if uh anyone has played with me when the campaign starts going really long my first couple of sessions are such amazing everyone's having a fun time once we start getting to the end it starts declining because i'm tired of having to come up i'm getting more and more exhausted trying to come up with newer sessions to keep the story going
1: yeah you need a break i need a break someone else to To come in and and run something or, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a tabletop game, right? Like maybe for a week you do a board game night or or a month you do a board game night Mm -hmm. where where you still get together and hang out and connect as friends, but uh, you don't have to run a tabletop game or the person who has been Mm -hmm. running doesn't have to run.
0: Yeah. Like that's what got me introduced into the game system for made. And I think it's magic shop is the other name for it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and so like because I could put it, throw it together as a quick one shot because the game master I was, uh, no, the, de- the the dungeon master I was working with was stuck and was going to be out of town for a week. I'm like, but everybody wanted to play. I'm like, you know, what? I could throw something together on this one, and I did. It was a way easy thing I could just throw together. Yeah, made and- is not for everyone. It's a little bit risque. It's definitely a niche thing, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. but it's suit if. You know, if, if you're up for that, it's super easy to set up. It is
0: designed, really, for, for one-shots. But it's not too great on a major campaign. Things move, because make can move really fast, where campaigns need to slow down a bit.
1: Well, I think to kind of go off that, too, there are a number of, like, free resources or, or very inexpensive resources, relatively speaking, mm-hmm. that one can find. I mean, there are one-page uh, tabletop RPG games, a whole system on one page. Oh, yeah. Um. So anything by Grant Howitt is incredible. (laughs) Um, He does a bunch of things like uh, trash pandas, goat crashers, sexy battle wizards, uh, what I did on my summer holidays. Like there, if you look Grant Howitt up, there are so many one page RPGs that this person has invented Uh, for all walks of life. You know, Honey Heist is one of their famous ones where you are literally bears at a honey convention trying to steal honey and you have to like blend in between being a bear and being a person. So you have like your, your stat is either bear or a criminal is the other aspect of that. Uh, And if you get too far on the criminal, you betray your people. And if you get too far on the bear, you go feral and like have to be tranquilized and and removed from the convention. (laughs) I'm like, that's ridiculous. But for like a night of make believe and fun, it's incredible.
2: Oh, that sounds fantastic!
1: It's a lot of fun, <laughs> and all, like Trash Pandas is about a bunch of raccoons who are street racers in downtown L.A.
0: <laughs> That's awesome, but yeah, there's different systems on there. Which way you want to go is really how you want to move on. I think number three, the next one, and this is something that you that is really good to talk to, especially in a, a session zero, or let your character your players know far beforehand which is decide basically how lethal, or basically how common death is going to be for your players going into it. The expectation mm-hmm. for this is really the important right.
1: Well, I don't even know if, like, just kind of broaden yeah. the scope a little bit. Like, deciding how lethal you want your game to be is in 100% something one should do. But also, like, what themes, you know, we mentioned this in the session Zero Talk, what themes are going to be in this game? You know, some people... uh really want that like if you're doing a cyberpunk game as an example they want that like gritty real world like dystopian feel where like people are are impoverished and they are going through struggles and they have to do certain things to get by some people really like that Mm -hmm. and for other people they're like yo i just wanted to play make believe with my friends like could we could we not do like a gritty realistic you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything is awful all the time game Um, And so I I agree, like deciding how lethal you want what's the danger to the players, what's the danger to the characters, Mm -hmm. but also deciding like, for lack of a better term, how lethal you want your themes to be, how serious do you want the game to be, is there going to be things like uh, alcohol use, Mm -hmm. smoking, drinking, drugs, uh, violence, Mm -hmm. what kind of violence, and against whom, like, there's a lot of things you have to go into that I think kind of falls under this banner as well. You know, like, how much danger, whether physical danger, mental danger, mm-hmm. spiritual danger, I suppose, uh, do you want your players to go through? Yeah. And it needs to be discussed, because if there's a miscommunication, everybody feels
0: yeah, bad there's a about that. There's a friend of mine who, um has, who, as a house rule, anytime that, because uh, she really loves small animals, and anytime mm-hmm. that a small animal would be mortally dang- and wounded or something put it to being killed it can't it's not allowed to be because she doesn't want to have to deal with that and she loves animals far too much for it and that's fair yeah 100% Yeah, I mean there, there are some players that really
2: want to experience the moral dilemmas you know and they really want to look deep into the mirror and find out who they are as a person and some people are playing games
0: specifically to avoid that <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, like, what was it? There was back, uh, back in 2020, somebody invited me to a game for or something. And, uh, and one of the themes in it was going to be about a disease and like, this is the pandemic I'm out. I don't just don't want to deal with that right now.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's fair, fair, you know, like, but that's why we have to have these conversations. You have to have them ahead of time. Because if you, if you let's say Leo plans this, mm-hmm. you know, super amazing virus zombie survival game. Uh, and it's, it's during a point where like, I don't have the bandwidth to deal with a serious zombie survival Mm -hmm. storyline, you know, similar to the last of us or walking dead or whatever, whatever you want to point to, Mm -hmm. you know, I need to know about that ahead of time, but Leo also needs to know about that. Uh, because he may lose me as a player, which is not a bad thing in and of itself, but like it needs to be a conversation because otherwise I get to the table and I'm like, let's play make believe. Yeah. Yeah awesome and he's like zombie apocalypse super gritty and i'm like whoa hold on i'm not comfortable i'm not i'm not here for this kind of game and like inadvertently i I don't think through anyone's fault i think it would could lead to some like contentious moments and and some hurt feelings potentially where it's like i just wanted to play games with my friends but now i feel like i can't do that and leo's like i worked really hard on this super awesome storyline and now i can't run it uh, or I don't feel like I can run it, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Like one of my favorite games, um, and it was uh, Rob. It was a homebrew that Rob uh, was winning once, and it was called, and he called it Endless Night, and it was nothing but horror film tropes going through this entire set campaign. That's right. Now the thing with it though, and and this was very important. Rob told us straight up, you will, uh, if you die, you There's a ninety. There's, there's not really a way to bring yourself back in game. Your character will be gone forever. So a lot of the players who were in there were playing a lot less risk, uh, recklessly because they they knew this is it. My player is gone. Yeah. However, I played it like a normal for like I normally played, and I died something like ten times in the game, and I recreated a character every single time.
2: Anyone My favorite you, was
0: when you surprising. made
2: a character that died that session and then made a new character to introduce before the session was over.
1: Mm-hmm. We just, we just have to hide behind the pile <laughs> of dead bards.
2: <laughs> but I mean, i uh, sort of on that note, the, the truth is a lot of players are going to become very, very attached to their characters. That's yeah. just, that's the nature of the game. You made a character. He's yours. Oh my gosh. I love him or her or it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're scared of losing that. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, a scary thing and other players are just like i made this character i can't you know i I can't wait for them to have a dramatic death that Mm -hmm. that really affects that you know some people want that and you want to have that discussion beforehand Mm -hmm. yeah you don't want to assume one when it's actually the other
0: yeah and some players will put a bit more of themselves uh characters are sometimes have a lot of connection to their player yeah and they just sort of weirdly designed it that way and because of that they're more attached so if they know beforehand that this character can go away, it's a lot mm-hmm. easier to deal with it when it instead of it ups, uh, just popping up out of the blue.
1: Well, I think it, it bears you know mentioning that you're going to make mistakes too. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't want to scare anyone away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dungeon mastering is a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun and it's very rewarding. More so, most times I would say than being a player. Oh yes. Um, but you're going to make mistakes. And that's okay. You're gonna have this like epic, cool, awesome moment in your head, and you're gonna show it to your players. And sometimes you're not met with the reactions that you were assuming they would have, because um, some people have things in their life that that affect them differently than others, right? Mm-hmm. So you might plan this super amazing, you know, murder scene and then you notice that one of your players has gone quiet or has you know, backed off, is not really engaging anymore, do not be afraid of stopping the game and checking in. Maybe you don't have to do it right then and there necessarily, but just in general being like, hey, everybody, I know it was really intense last session. We had that super crazy murder. Uh, how are we feeling? How are we doing? Is there anything, any feedback you have for me? Please message me privately or in, in person, however you want to do it, whatever you're comfortable with. You know, checking in with your players, just like your DM should be doing with you, your GM should be doing with you, is important. Um, And if you make a mistake, it's a simple adage, right? But you can always apologize. You can always, you know, my bad, y'all. Shouldn't have done that super grizzly murder scene Mm -hmm. in our happy Care Bears game. Uh, I will know better moving forward. Here's how I would like to proceed if it's okay with you all.
0: And sometimes you'll be surprised with it. Like one campaign I ran, and uh, some AI came back, and one person in our party was super attached to this AI that I developed, that I built. Mm-hmm. And my intention is one and done. At the end of this session, she is gone. She is trash. And everyone's trying. By the end of that session, um, and I, I brought in the big bad that was that planned this whole thing out. They were so invested. As the players into this thing, that they wanted me dead in real life for this. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. going, you you hurt the. And I don't know how, but this AI, um, they're sweating bullets over this AI because they dis- uh, I'm like, no, this thing is supposed to be trashed by the end of my plot. And they were trying anything and everything desperately to save it. by And because of this shenanigans that happened, I brought them to the Big Bad, but they could not fight the Big Bad right there. Without any consequences against that AI, and so that death is another point. Players just
1: just keep in mind we're people too, uh, and <laughs> yeah. like yes, we're gonna mess with your favorite characters, and we're sorry about that, but we kind of needed to mm-hmm. in the moment, and like in the moment we didn't want to hurt you. It was just kind of a consequence of what happened.
0: So after that session was done, I checked in on every one of my players and. To my surprise, everyone was like this. I wish that you would never do anything that desperate again. But man, I want to see where the rest of this is going. They're like, you... And it's amazing. I I think something Dane Dane mentioned earlier um,
2: that I think is really, really important was private and public. Mm. Yes. You know, when, when one player is sort of withdrawing, don't talk to that player in public in front of everybody. No. Don't put them on the spot. That's talk awful. to them privately. Take them aside, send them a text, mm-hmm. you know, or, or talk to them outside of game when everyone else is, is not present and, and talk to them. Then, you know, there are things that they might want to say, but they don't want to say it in front of the rest of the group. Yeah. You know, maybe because they feel like they're the only ones that have that opinion or, you know, they're, they're just, they don't want to ruin everyone else's fun with their own problems that it, Talk to them privately. But also give people an opportunity to talk publicly too. Some people are more likely to express their concerns if they've got friends next to them that they think are going to back them up. Yep. So really, if if you're noticing problems, you want to have both opportunities for players to discuss them with you privately and to discuss them with you as...
1: Yeah, and I think as, as a DM, you need to be humble a little bit. It's hard. Yeah. You've created this amazing world. You've done amazing work. You know it's great. It's amazing, but you know people don't always interact in the same way with things. Mm-hmm. People don't always uh, have the same background or same experiences as others do, as I've mentioned before. And so I think it—you it, know—being humble and going, you're kind of putting yourself aside because obviously we've worked hard on these things. We've we've created these amazing worlds. We've created these scenarios, and we've worked really hard on them. And we want them to be appreciated. Um, but if somebody has a problem with something in your world or what, something that you've done inadvertently or not, you know, that's not the time to be like, well, I worked really hard on this, blah, 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 blah. Like, how dare you? Like, they have a very real and valid reason for feeling the way that they do, Mm. as do you. So kind of putting yourself to the side just for a moment and kind of going, Hey friend, like Mm. we're friends first. Right. Mm. That's the important part. Even if you meet at the gaming table and you establish the friendship afterwards, you're still friends first. And I feel like it, it does bear mentioning that, like, you got to be a little humble. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to attack you. They're not doing this because they hate you and hate your game. Like, there's just something about it that happened that was a miscommunication or was difficult for them that just needs to be addressed, you know? <laughs> you might, in the case of the Grizzly murder scene I mentioned earlier, you might think that's the coolest, most amazing thing you've ever written, ever in the history of ever. And you might be right, Mm -hmm. but like, is it worth it if the people you love and want to game with are uncomfortable or hate it? You know, is, is that really worth it at the end of the day? I don't think it is.
2: Yeah. I think kind of on that note, uh, one there, there are two things that I think have really helped me as, as a game designer that you just, you need to keep in mind when you're doing this sort of thing. The first is you are not your game. You know, i You've put a lot of work into your game. You put a lot of thought and love into it, but it's not you. Your game mm-hmm. is not you as a person. If someone is criticizing your game, that's not the same as criticizing you. And if you can if you can manage to keep that distinction in your head, it will help you to receive critique so so much better. Mm. Yeah. Um, the other thing is you probably aren't going to get it right the first time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Impossible.
2: So, uh, part of the game design process for video games is iterations. You know, the very first thing you do is bad. That The first game that you're making is bad. That's just how it works. You know, you're not some sort of all-seeing, all-knowing, perfect individual. So you put it out there, and then you test it, and you figure out what's working well and what's working not and then the next iteration you change things that weren't working well you improve things that were working good it's that's that's how it works so and if you recognize that this this game that you made isn't perfect and could be improved and that's okay and that's normal and that's part of the process then that also makes it a lot easier to accept critique from other people
0: mm-hmm. that's true yeah very much so um and If you can keep that in mind, you can have, you can adjust things so much better. Like, and we've had this example in GTP itself on the, in 2022, I ran a, for Extra Life, that that RP game on, and it was on Twitch and everyone was having a fun time on it. And that's because I under, because me then could easily adapt and knew which ways I wanted the game to go for, for the way that those players wanted to play it without needing and most of the everyone I didn't need to do much of a discussion but I knew exactly what I was needing to do for that. But me when I am first starting out way years years ago, oh good lord, some of those mistakes are horrible. So as long as you're able to adapt and accept critique when it's needed, you'll be fine. Yeah. Sort of sort of on that. Another way to avoid that
2: um and and this is this is something I kind of wanted us to talk about was are you running a pre-made adventure or are you running one of that you have made yourself from scratch? Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot, a lot of pre-made adventures out there. Some of them better than others. Some of them are professionally published specifically to work with a specific system that's very popular or not very popular. Some of them are intentionally uh, vague and meant to be adapted to whatever system. But there are so, so, so many out there to choose from. And that's that could be a good way of dealing with critique because, oh, this, this game sucked. It's okay. That's not my fault. Whoever wrote this adventure, <laughs> they're the ones that screwed up.
1: And there's a lot of discourse about whether or not one should run a pre made or homebrew themselves. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of different camps and different thoughts and feelings about it. Like, there's no one right answer. Yeah. The right answer, as Rob said earlier, is whatever works for you, mm-hmm. and whatever your players want to engage with. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if if you don't have time to write a homebrew amazing epic fantasy, like I get it. We all got we're all hustling out here. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, it's okay to pick up a book and go. Well, chapter seven says this, so that's what we're going with. <laughs> um,
2: if you do run a pre-made adventure, though, a word of warning: it isn't necessarily less work than than running a homebrew. I mean, True. you yes. don't, in a sense, it's less work because you don't have to come up with so much stuff. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's no work. You you should still read the entire adventure all the way through before you run it at least once, probably two or three times.
1: Mm-hmm. And then I would re- recommend whatever session you have planned for that specific day, reread that section. You know, so if they're in the middle of an adventure, they're in a dungeon, and you know they're coming up on a couple of rooms that you know you kind of remember there are some monsters or something in there. Reread those rooms before you run the game. Mm-hmm. Y- y- it'll help. It, it, I promise help. you. I promise you it'll help. I guess we read it before you run the game, and then right before the game, you read it again. Mm-hmm. Not the whole adventure, just the parts that you need. Yeah.
0: but I guess we should discuss this. So when well, some of us are play, are setting up our games and such. Uh, there's different sort of styles for it, and each one of us runs it a little bit differently. For example, for me, I take a note uh, when I wanted to play on the Game Mastering game, I take a notebook out, I just write down the key parts that I need to write down. Because I'm pretty good at improv so I don't want to lean heavily on my on my um, I guess script, on my storyline. Mm-hmm. But that way i can let it flow where if a player makes a certain decision i can just move it around here but it, when it comes to preparing for a new game that's basically all i do i just take notes to know what things i want to have in this game and where it's and so where it goes a lot of times i come up with the ending first and then the begin the beginning and the rest in the middle becomes a muddle mess
1: hmm interesting
0: but that's my sort of uh, flow for it. Work at the start, end, and then how we get there. Yeah, I mean
2: as, as a GM now, it's rare for me to do to fully flesh out everything that's going to happen. I I rely pretty heavily on improvisation during my sessions. Just that's just how I am as a GM. But that wasn't always the <laughs> case. You know, early on in my GMing career, I prepared so much i had you no know, pages and pages and pages that, that endless night campaign that leo mentioned i think was something like 50 pages long yeah. it, it was a lot uh and i as i went on i became more comfortable with having things undecided that i could just make up on the fly in session uh and for me that was helpful mm. uh as a new gm i would kind of recommend preparing a little bit more than you think you're going to need simply because having having something already prepared ahead of time makes it so that you don't have to freak out so much when something surprising happens mid-session and you're not you're not ready for it you know improvisation is a learned skill and you learn it with preparation it's when you're improving you're doing the exact same things that you do when you're preparing ahead of time mm. you're just doing it faster
1: yeah. And this is, not necessi- this is not necessarily necessary. <laughs> That's a stupid phrase. Um, <laughs> but don't be afraid. If you want to improve skills mm-hmm. like improv, feel free to go take an improv class. Look one up in your local area. Mm-hmm. You know, improv is a learned skill, as Rob said, and it's it's not something that comes naturally to everybody. And and no one, hopefully, no one is expecting you to be the next Matthew Mercer or uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan, or you know any of these amazing other DMs and creators out there, and if they are, they need to kind of reexamine their uh, <laughs> their, their their reality. Not all of us are amazingly talented voice actors, yeah. Um But you don't need to do voices, no. necessarily. Uh, and if improv is something that you're you're not great at, like maybe you just focus on the story or the combat mm-hmm. or or what have you. Um, maybe you do a little bit more prep because you know that improv is not your strong suit, but. Again, if you want to get better at these things, mm-hmm. watch a video on it, take a class on it, uh, interface with other people and just, just be goofy, be silly, you know, get together with some of your other friends mm-hmm. and just be like, Hey guys, I want to work on this improv or, you know, play improv games. Mm-hmm. Things like, um, uh, Telestrations,
0: oh, telestrations
1: uh, is not really like an improv based game, but like you, you're thinking on the fly, you're mm-hmm. thinking quickly, you're, you're having to draw or respond to something that has been drawn. Mm-hmm. So, it gives you like a prompt and a response to respond back to, as an example. You know, these are all things you can work on, but don't ever feel like you need to be a professional at these things because yeah. the majority of people, and even the people who are famous for these things, have other things that they're not as good at. Yeah. Every DM, every GM has their own strength, has their own ability to create something wholly unique to them. And it may be that you do amazing character voices or that you have an amazing storyline or that you have. There's some combination of all of these things. But I guarantee you there's something that you don't feel you're as strong about. That somebody else's game might be a little bit stronger than you are in it. You can improve, of course. I'm not saying you can't. But don't feel like, oh, well, I can't do voices, so what's the point? Like, not everyone needs voices in their game. And that's okay.
0: Especially early on. Like, if you're in the first session, you know what? Every single character sounds like this. That that that's yeah. me. Everyone's going to be this because I don't want to bother with that,
1: <laughs> and that's okay. Like if you'd rather put your points elsewhere, mm-hmm. right? You, know, Leo, if you're putting your points into the storyline or the the combat or the the mm-hmm. learning the rules of the game, even, mm-hmm. uh, it's okay if everyone just sounds like this. Like, hey, I'm Mary. What's up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Oh, hey, I'm Jim now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Jim sounds a lot like Mary. I know. Uh, we're we're all related in this yeah. town. All of us. We all sound the same. <laughs> A wizard did it. I don't, I don't
0: know. know, and you don't even need to get into those kind of excuses for it. Um, no, no, you don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, just go with it. Lean on your strengths mm-hmm. more. Um, the first session I have ever made, I wrote down everything as if it was a linear story, and mm-hmm. uh, when I ran that big that the extra life campaign, I told every player beforehand, "This is on rails." In. this is a linear story and they knew it going in and the reason why i told them that is because that way they know it wasn't that if you want to explore these other places don't bother it's not happening you're going forward enjoy and that yeah. was a blast. you had
1: limited time the scope of the game was what it was yeah.
0: it you was know? a one-shot limited time and mm-hmm. it was uh and i literally put it on a in a cave that goes straight that that was that was half that game <laughs> but um that's the scope I wanted to work with. And everyone had a blast on that.
1: And because yeah. you were upfront with that, people could engage in mm-hmm. that in that way. And it was a fun time for everybody.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I did, like, no, I did no voices for it. I had, it, Everyone sounded the same, too. Even the bats sounded like me.
1: Yeah. And that didn't stop me from having fun.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, uh, moving on from that section, it's probably the other one is what have a general idea of what is and is not allowed in the game. And what I mean by this is sort of both actions and objects that are, is allowed or not allowed in the game for it. Actions are a little different. Just like before we mentioned before, you talk to your players what things you want them to, that, that you don't want to happen in the game or you do or whatever, right? Objects are a little different on that in that if a player wants to have like, I don't know, like a laser rifle, but we're in a 20s noir setting, you're not going to have it sometimes there's a little in between if I'm like I like and this I did this early on it's if you can figure out how to make it in the game fine you I'll let it I'll let it slide yeah and maybe it's that you don't have it in the
1: way that you're thinking of right mm-hmm. so to use the, the 1920s laser gun example you know uh, fallout is very much so a, a genre of game that exists mm-hmm. right so there is a precedence for it but if it's not the kind of game that people are interested in playing or the DM is interested in running you know that could be difficult. But maybe there's a way, you know, through mad science that you can get a lightning gun yeah. or or something that is laser adjacent. You know, it may not be what you're 100% hoping for as a player, but, you know, compromise is a good thing oh. in this case. How does
0: that go? If it's like, I want a lightsaber. You can't have a lightsaber in this game. All right. What about a sonic laser based sword? Yeah. Fine. <laughs>
1: Exactly, you know, like, it, it's, exactly. it's maybe not 100% what you're hoping for, maybe there's different drawbacks mm-hmm. or different, you know, pros and cons to it, but at the end of the day, it's closer to a laser gun than you might have gotten otherwise.
0: Mm-hmm. And sometimes some interesting systems on there will, like, like in Dungeons & Dragons, for example, you have to deal with gold, silver, electrium. Yeah, like and copper. And I'll be honest. Whenever I play Dungeons and Dragons, I hate doing that kind of math. So everyone gets gold. Down to yeah. <laughs> that pegasus rare yeah, over there, yeah but gold.
2: Basically, every system I've ever run that does not come with a predefined like cost for things, I just use dollars. Mm-hmm. Mm, sure, I might call it gold, but one gold equals one dollar. <laughs> That's
1: yeah. or your gold <laughs> gill. Uh, double dollars, Wulongs
0: Wulongs, yeah. Cortex has an interesting one. Money isn't even a concept for it, but lifestyle is. Can your character sure. get their hands on this? That's what they they decide on. That. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily that you have X amount of money that you can spend
2: on Y amount of goods and Z Z. You know, like your your room or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's um, you basically set your lifestyle. Yeah, my character lives in poverty, so it's difficult for me to get things. My character lives lavishly wealthily, and so it's easy for them to get these sort of things. And that's just part of the character. Mm -hmm. And that way we have abstracted money out. Nobody has to do math. Uh, Side note, uh, most people don't like to do math. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you're not alone if you were in your math class and having trouble keeping up. That's like 90% of the human race.
1: Shout out to the weird math people though. And I say weird as a term of endearment. I don't understand you, but I'm really glad you're there when (laughs) I need to like calculate an angle or, you know, I'm like, okay, this character is like 40 feet in the air Mm -hmm. and you're shooting at a 45 degree angle and they're like, oh, it's four. And I'm like, it's, yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm." Why not? Checks out.
2: (laughs) But but like on that note, just don't make your players do math. Mm -hmm. You know, some people like it. Most people don't. (laughs)
1: Well, it depends on what kind of game you're running, too, right? So, like, um, if you're looking for, like, a very crunchy, you know, West Marches or or more realistic style game, uh, there are some DMs, I know, for D&D who run these amazing, realistic, like, you count how many arrows you shoot. Mm -hmm. You count how many rations you have in your pack when you're out in the wilderness. You keep track of these things. And there are some people, there's a subset of people out there who love that type of gameplay. Oh, yeah. Personally... I don't want to have to go to town every you know, two sessions or three sessions to be like, hey, could I get like 40 arrows? Oh, I can only afford 20? Okay, I better mark that down. I've got three left, and so I've got 23. Like, that's a lot for me. Mm-hmm. But if that's your kind of game, there's somebody out there or maybe you should run that game because mm-hmm. there are people who will want to play that game. There is
2: Yeah, you know, if if all you and your buddies are the math nerds, Run Shadow Run. That's you know, it's it's very math heavy and very crunchy and that is exactly what you would want for a group of people that really love math.
0: Or one of the mech warrior ones. Sure. Like honestly, the amount of number crunching required for uh for some of those mech games um turned uh, someone's like, "Hey, why don't you run the game I- Astral?" All right, got the manual, so I needed to keep track of 16 different hit points for one t- target. I'm out. <laughs> That that's just way more math than I'm willing to put up with in this one.
1: For you math nerds, please run Shadowrun please, and yeah. then explain to me how to run Shadowrun. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would appreciate that.
0: Shadowrun's on a like it's funny because um Nibblestarf and he's been on the uh, Steve Nibblestarf who's been on this podcast several times. That was what introduced him to um to game uh, to to tabletop games, not traditionally Dungeon Dragons where most people get, he got introduced to Shadowrun, and he does sometimes love the num- number crunching. Sure. And I'm sitting there, I mean but he can't he doesn't want to game master I'm like, I want you to game master because you can handle the numbers for Sat- Shadowrun, so I can play Shadowrun for once in my life.
1: <laughs> like I grew up in second edition DD that had this thing called thaco mm. which is to hit armor class zero. And there are charts and graphs that you have to like reference in order to understand the basic fundamentals of this Dungeons and Dragons game. It's not like Fifth Edition; it's a lot more streamlined, which is awesome. I love that Fifth Edition is more streamlined. But yeah, like you had to like sit there and be like, okay, I've got a this to hit, and then I got to calculate this thing and to hit their armor class zero. It's you know this number, and negative armor class is better than positive armor class because the more negative your armor class is, the harder you were to hit. <laughs> like it was just a whole thing, right? And I grew up doing that. I don't miss doing that necessarily. <laughs> I really like being like does an 18 hit and someone's like, yeah. You know that's that's pretty nice. That's it's really nice to have that level over there. Um as opposed to being like pulling out my charts and graphs and like comparing and contrasting,
0: I don't know. Everyone got their ta- their pencils, papers and calculators for this game? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But yeah, there's different systems that will allow you to do that. And then in the vein, there's Things that you can that the players might want. Um. Yeah, I think that is mostly what all the big ones that I can think of for what a basic uh things that a that are new coming in game master would want to deal with, right? Yeah. Unless you guys have something else that you could think of on that.
1: One thing I'd like to mention, you know, <laughs> as as a new DM or a new GM. Don't feel like you have to have everything plotted out. If you do, that's amazing. If you have the whole plot, if you have the bad guys, the the uh, villains of the arc, if you've got you know twists and turns, and everything all planned out, that's something. That's cool. That's that's fine. You can have that. But when I so I, I took a, a long hiatus to tabletop RPGs after college, um, in kind of a silly manner, and had decided that I was done with it. When I came back to it, I had to kind of relearn what I thought i needed to do and what i needed to do and so for me i created and there are other people on the internet who have said the same advice so if you've heard this elsewhere I, i find it's good advice start small if you are making a dungeons and dragons game and you have level one players and maybe they've played before maybe they haven't played before maybe they just haven't played in a while create a small town you know, it's got an inn, it's got a blacksmith, it's got a butcher's shop, it's got this thing, it's got that thing. And then just create them one by one. So for me, I started, I created a small town called Candlewood for my homebrew campaign. And I started, I made the inn first. It was the first thing I made. What does this inn look like? Who's in it? What are the patrons' names, if any? What is the bartender's name? And, and what, what is their purpose? What are they doing there? And then I went. Okay, well, if, it's, if there's an inn here, there should be some way of like sourcing food. So who else lives here? Well, some farmers. Okay, what do they farm? Oh, they farm this thing. You know, where do they sell it? Oh, they sell it at the small market that happens every weekend. And on and on and on and on. You can just extrapolate out after that. But start small. Create a town. Create some people in that town. And then you can create your kingdoms and your empires and your, your adversaries and whatever. you know. It, it can be as complicated as it needs to be, but don't be afraid to start small.
2: I Because mean, most odds, adventurers start small. Yeah, odds, odds are good your players are really only going to be dealing with what's in front of them. Yeah, for
1: you a know, while that, at least.
2: If, if they're there in the small town and that's where your adventure tar- starts, then the needs of the small town are what matters to them. That's what they're going to be dealing with. Does it matter what the kingdom is like and and their politics and the how the nobles are interacting? Probably not. Yeah, the, not, you know, not those things don't one. affect the people out here in in the small poduck town of Candlewood.
3: Um, yeah, they what, might later,
2: what, you know, after after you're taken care of Candlewood's problems, then you might want to start looking at some court intrigue or something like that. But you don't have to have everything all at once.
1: No. What do they care about the nobles, as you said, when, you know, they're starving because of the crop shortage and it's been weirdly happening Mm -hmm. or what have you.
0: (laughs) Okay. So before I uh, close up, one thing I wanted to mention, and this is just in general for things, one of the the things you want to be careful or not careful, but aware of is your players. Your players have choices that they will make. If you can understand what your players' choices are or what they, how they like to play, you can kind of tailor your game towards it. Um, I know I do this sometimes, and it's just mostly for funsies. So I kind of wanted to go over a small list of different kind of types of players that you'll run into. Like one, and sort of the pros and cons real quick on that. Some of the ones I know of is the straight up fighter. Every solution is punching. Punching is Mm -hmm. the solution for it. Now, the problem with that is punching is the solution for everything. (laughs) So maybe they have a, 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 a kind noble who's been helping out and wants to talk to you guys, but doesn't want to give up information. All of a sudden, now we're in a fight for no reason. Um, yeah. So, some, if you're clever enough as a as a game master, you can sometimes put the if you can put them into a place where they don't they can't punch their way out of the solution. So one of the one of my favorite players I had to deal with was a fighter. Kept doing that. I've been as a game master. I put him in a situation where fighting couldn't solve it. I watched as this guy cleverly figured out a way to social his way out of this mess with the bad stats that he has. And it, and it was so fun for him that there was that after that, he couldn't stop wanting to play a social based character because he's never experienced that.
1: Yeah. And that's a great point. You know, challenging your players to, to get outside of their comfort box Um, and to try something else or try something new is a very good thing. However, I do want to caution. There is a chance that if you try to push and you push too hard, that same player may just shut down Mm -hmm. and may stop engaging because they're just here to swing sticks and and punch people in the face. Mm -hmm. Like that's an acceptable way to play a game. If that's the kind of game you're, you know, you're playing, but just keep in mind that like that approach could have two very drastically different, uh, and results
2: yeah. i mean there's and there's there's a lot of different types of players there's a lot of different organizations of types of players uh <laughs> even if you aren't running a session in DD uh it's it's a good idea to look through dnd's dm manual fourth or fifth edition both have some great ways where they talk about the different types of players that you might experience how you might engage those players the things you, that you should watch out for mm. Uh, on the internet, there's a lot of different categories that they, you know, that they put players into. You know, the, the real man, the real role player, the loony mm-hmm. sort of thing. And there's and there's some great resources that you can look up to, or you can look for, for what types of players there are and how you can prep your games for. Um, and really, what I feel though to watch out for is very few players are one type of player. Yes, there there are very few people that are just like. I only want to roleplay. I never want to fight. I never want to do anything crazy or silly. I only want to do serious roleplaying. That's that's incredibly rare for you to run into that. A lot of times you'll have the player that I really love roleplaying, but we've done that kind of a lot. I'd really like to punch a monster in the face now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I normally have very serious, well-thought-out plans, but sometimes I want to try something a little bit crazy and out there. Most, most players are going to be a mix of these different types and they're going to want different things at different times. That's okay. That's normal. That's people. That's how they work. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, don't necessarily feel like you're one player. You have to cater to this one thing that they want to do all the time. It's okay to branch out.
0: Yeah. Some players are fighters where they just want to fight, but that they also want to branch out once in a while. You have, uh, I had a player once that I like to nickname the historian. They wanted to find out the lore of this, of this world. I'm like, okay, but we spent like half an hour talking to this one historian. Let's move on and such. And there's ways to push them out of that being stuck on there. Um, There's people who I like to nickname the detective. They are all about puzzle solving. And so the nice juxtaposition is they're the opposite of your fighter character. The fighter wants to fight. The detective just wants to solve puzzles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I
1: love shopping episodes. Mm, Yeah. But I've got friends who loathe shopping episodes.
2: I'm one of those friends. I hate shopping episodes in D&D with with the (laughs) biggest fashion ever.
1: Yeah. And I I think they're great because I get to be weird and I get to hang out and I get to like haggle. Uh, it's incredible to me, but yeah, much like Rob, Mm -hmm. there are people out there who are just like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, I don't want to do that at all. Yeah.
0: So these are sort of a general list of the things. There's two types that would probably be the toughest ones that you'll want to deal with, but be aware of them. And they're not bad, but they are ones that can enter. One of them I like to call the hanger on or the witness or the rent. This is the person who came to hang out with their friends here. They weren't in for the, the session. And it can be kind of tricky because, essentially, they, because of this, they may pick weird decisions on it, but they're decisions that don't go anywhere. Or, uh, kind of, and this is not a detriment to any game master or even any player who does it. It's just sort of the thing that happens. They don't feel like they're engaging into the game. That's not a bad thing. It's just that you want to be aware with it. If that's a thing that that's happening, uh, one thing to do, uh, to do is to either limit their scope or to move around them. Because essentially you're trying to ask like X person, hey, okay, so what do you want to do here? Um I guess punch the guy. And that's the only thing they can think of because that's the quickest solution on that.
2: Yeah, and in, or, and like you said, there's nothing really wrong with a player that's that's just there to hang out with friends mm-hmm. and isn't particularly interested in the game. That's that's not really an issue, you know occasional prodding like hey do you want to do you want to maybe do this you know just just plan around it don't make them the focus that's not what they're here for
1: yeah you know as mentioned previously check in outside of the session with them Mm -hmm. one on one and just like hey you know are you having fun is there anything I could do better is there anything I could do to include you more is there something else that you're more maybe more interested in in terms of you know are you a combat character are you a social character are you neither and like Pre- you need to preface with them. There's no right answer. You're not looking for something mm-hmm. here. You just want to make sure that you are maximizing or trying to to emphasize their fun in addition to the rest of the groups if they're not engaging quite as much.
0: And sometimes they'll surprise you. One of the per- uh, in one session or game I was running with this new person, and they didn't say much. They didn't do anything. At the end, I'm like, oh man, I got to check in with them later after this game and figure out. And was blasting on on like social media oh man i had the greatest time on this rp I'm like, you you did you you did like two things <laughs> what the yeah and that was enough, that was enough for them for, which is awesome, awesome. it's a, like it's not a bad thing the other one you want yeah. to worry about is sort of the chaos bringer or also known as the loony the one who wants to try anything and everything that's out there mm. some of the funniest things that happen when people go crazy like that also, some of the worst things that happen in your game is because of the same exact thing. Uh, yeah. Chaos can be
2: interesting because it's unpredictable, but can also be devastating because it's unpredictable. Mm-hmm.
1: And there there are consequences in almost every game system. There are consequences to the chaos. You know, if if you are being crazy and unpredictable and LOL so random in front of, you know, the archduke of space, mm-hmm. yeah, the they might take exception to that and they might treat you and your group differently because of that interaction. You know, don't be afraid as the DM or GM. You don't want to punish your players. You never want to necessarily punish your players, but you can react to the things that they're doing in the world that you're creating. Because I think most people, uh, unless you're running like a one shot or, or a small form game, are interested in creating a lived in feeling type world that feels, for lack of an. A better term, real. That mm-hmm. so would make sense. That you know, if you're like juggling knives in front of the space duke, that like, yeah, he might, he might not love that. Yeah, <laughs> might not be a fan, or she, or they. You mm-hmm. know.
2: And and really, the the way to resolve this is just to have kind of a variety. Um, mm-hmm. and that, and that's just a good design principle in general when you're talking about any sort of game. You don't want it to be all combat all the time. Mm-hmm. You don't want it to be all serious all the time. You don't want it to be all jokes all the time. You know, just if you've got a player that wants to bring some chaos, make sure you've got an encounter that kind of relies on that, that that uses some out of the box thinking that does something kind of silly and wacky and gives them an opportunity um, so that they have an outlet for that thing that they really want to do. They have an outlet for their chaos Mm -hmm. and then and then separately have a different encounter that's maybe a little bit more serious for your role player. Separately, have a different encounter that's really going to rely heavily on combat for your fighter player. Um, It's called pacing. And you just... its You have some moments that are a little bit more intense, some moments that are a little bit less intense, some moments that require you to think one way, some moments that require you to think another. It keeps your players engaged because there's different things to do. It keeps you from getting burnout because it's not the same thing over and over again.
0: And I guess my... And that, that's sort of the way that you want to handle these kind of players, but if you can. And none of these are bad or anything on that. The, I guess to my final... Uh, so, you know, they play. They're just humans and people, too. One of the things that you want to do, and this is sort of a, you know, And you'll probably never... Uh, ideally, you'll never bump into this, but we've all bumped into this, which is known as That Guy, which is... And this is my last note on this. That guy is the guy who wants to basically... They're here to make sure that they have fun, but nobody else has fun. And they will do some destructive things to your game. Set them aside. Talk to them. The name of the game for any tabletop is to have fun and enjoyment. And if someone's ruining that fun and enjoyment, you as the game master should deal with this one way or another.
1: Yeah, and as a DM, don't be afraid to, in session zero, uh, after you've talked about what people do want, what people don't want, what you want, what you don't want. And if you've come to a consensus, don't be afraid to set down rules, you know, about this sort of thing. Uh, one of the rules that I use typically at my my table is, you know, don't infringe upon anyone else's fun and your fun will not be infringed upon. Mm, uh, or something along those lines where like, as long as we're all having a good time, and having fun and, and not breaching the social contract that we're inter- entering into, there's no issue. We can do whatever we want. But as soon as you're like hurting somebody else's fun in pursuit of your own, then we're going to have an issue.
2: Yeah. I think there's, there's sort of an expectation that when you have a problem player, it's your duty as the GM to fix it. And that can be scary if you're maybe not so great about, you know, if you're an introvert and you don't really like conflict and you don't necessarily want to confront somebody in real life about their behavior, that's, that's understandable. It it can be pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't have to go it alone. Talk to talk to your players, all of your players. You know, discuss how to approach this problem, um, and give the problem player a chance to defend themselves. But it's okay if they're a problem and they're not willing to compromise, or if they say they're going to compromise and then don't. It's okay to kick them out. That's that happens sometimes. It's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, try to avoid having that happen I don't think anyone wants to like have that talk that sucks but as previously stated there are some people who are not looking for the type of game you want to run or there are some people whose play style is different than the game you want to run or maybe your DM style is not the right fit for them as a player. So you know like mm-hmm. as Rob said, try to compromise try to come to a consensus do what you can but at the end of the day you do have that button yeah you can you can eject your seat those people. Or anyone for that matter. At any time. Just, I would caution, use it sparingly if you can.
0: Like, I've had to before and bounce people out of my campaign before. It's not fun. I've had to bounce people out of other people's campaign because they were so introverted, but they wanted, they they needed this to happen. Like, I got you. There was
2: uh, a forum that I used to go to frequently uh, where it was basically a motto. That they came up with that no gaming is better than bad gaming, um, and so you you might be afraid to to eject a problem player because it might be it might mean the end of the game for a little bit. That does happen sometimes, yeah. but just remember that a little bit of courage for a few minutes as you're as you're confronting a problem player will lead to a much better outcome. That scary thing that you have to do when you're dealing with a problem player for a few minutes is better than having to put up with them for
0: a year's worth
2: of sessions.
1: Mm-hmm. Especially if it's infringing on your and other people's funds.
0: It, it's a scary moment, and you, as a game master, might be the one who's in charge for for it, but some of us have been here. We'll back you up. It's, it's fine. Um, yeah.
1: I will say too, if you're looking for more information like this, I've mentioned before, there's a lot of people out there who have some things uh, like this. I really enjoy a number of people that are kind of based in the D20 sphere. Uh, so like D and D and D20 modern, mm-hmm. those sort of games. Um, but I know that dimension 20 crew. So Brendan Lee Mulligan, Lou Wilson, all those, all those amazing, amazing people uh, they have videos where they talk about these sort of things in sort of like a uh, uh, kind of like this. Mm-hmm. And they brought up the idea of the snack captain. Oftentimes, uh, we as, as game masters forget to eat. We get distracted. We we're busy running the game. And they, they put forth the idea that like one person, if, they, if there's a person in your group who likes logistics, who likes planning things, let them be the snack captain. Buy them a hat. But, like, they're the ones who've got the food situation settled. If you want to do food at your game, Mm -hmm. you don't have to. Um, But I think the idea of the snack captain can be broadened to the game in general, right? Don't feel like you as the DM have to do everything. That you have to plan the game sessions. That you have to wrangle the people together. That you have to get everyone in the same room. That you have to set up the scene and then have to run the game. And provide food and figure that out. Like, it's a lot feel free to allow other people to help you if they want to. Don't don't strong arm them into <laughs> it. But if you've got somebody who wants to handle the snacks, if your group likes snacks, call that out, like hype that up. They're the snack captain. They're amazing and they deserve to be pointed to in a good way and go like, "Thank you, Jim, for being the snack captain. I appreciate you doing this." You know, "Thank you, Megan, for planning the session for deciding and getting everyone's ideas together and deciding what day we were going to do this game because i'm over here trying to create gods and it's hard
0: i remember one person i had to go thank you to louis here who remembered to bring 800 things of dice
1: yeah you know you don't necessarily need to like call them out like round robin like and thank you to bill for being awesome like you don't need to, Mm. to call
0: them all out but like, you also don't need a burden at all in your own shoulder. Yeah,
1: it's not all on you. We, we're all friends. We're all group here. We're all here for the same thing. Like, we can all try to like figure this out. Thank your snack captains. That's all <laughs> I'm saying.
2: Yeah, one thing we we were discussing relatively recently in, in one of my game design classes uh, is how important the producer role is when you're yeah. when you're making a game, and that's essentially what you're talking about with a snack captain. You know, is somebody who takes care of all the little stuff to make sure, like outside of game that happens. They're not necessarily making the creative decision about what world you're playing in mm-hmm. or, you know, what the bad guy is or what he's doing. They're just facilitating you so that you can do that. And they are indispensable. <laughs> they really are. Yeah. Uh, so if you've got someone that can handle that, that enjoys doing that sort of thing, absolutely let let them do their thing
1: yeah and now don't feel like you have to be that person either you don't have to be the snack captain just just to be clear like <laughs> there does not always necessarily need to be a snack captain but like if that's your jam and you're like yeah i'm gonna make sure we eat thank you <laughs> whoever <laughs> we, you are we thank we appreciate you it. <laughs> or you're like i'm a type a personality this is the schedule this is what all 12 of us have said works for us <laughs> we're playing on this game at this time thank you
2: for everybody who was willing to let me run a game in their home, yes,
0: I appreciate thank
2: you. you.
1: <laughs> thank you for having more space than my tiny apartment.
0: Exactly. About wrapping it up. Uh, anyone else's final thoughts to helping out a new game master?
2: There was a story I read a long time ago um, where someone was talking about how they were scared of running the same, their their first session, and they really didn't have it fleshed out. And the players just kind of went off the rails immediately and they explored the town and they did this and that. And one of them burned down a tree. And then they got into this big argument with the uh, you know, the local guards, and they were gonna get arrested, and da-da-da-da-da. And uh at the end, they were just like, is there something we can do to get out of this legal trouble that we've gotten into ourselves? I was like, oh, hmm, actually, there's this goblin, and that's the encounter that the GM had originally planned for them to go to, that they had been ignoring. Hey, there's this goblin camp down the road that could really use taking care of. Um, And the moral of the story is don't worry. Worst case scenario, your players spend a few hours arguing about a tree. (laughs) So like, it's, it's really easy when you're first starting out to imagine all the worst case scenarios. And just remember like really the worst case scenario is your friends spend an evening doing something that isn't particularly fun. Mm -hmm. That's not the end of the world. You will absolutely be able to bounce back from that.
1: I've mentioned this a couple of times myself, and uh, I've told my players this verbatim that like, yeah, if you all want to be sheep herders, if that's the kind of game you want to play, we will run the best sheep herding D and D game of your life. I will come up with encounters. I will come up with you know plot points. We will use your stats. It'll be ridiculous, but we'll do it. Like I have things planned. I have things that I want to do as the DM. I've got a story that I have in mind. But if you want to be sheep herders, we're herding sheep, (laughs) y'all. Let's go. Um, to kind of go along with that, do not ever be afraid that you're going to make a mistake because you will a hundred percent you will. And that's okay. I think the phrase goes, you have to be bad at something to be sort of okay at something one day to eventually be good at something. Uh, And and there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's a lot of pressure in our society and, and just in the world in general to be an expert out the gate day one, you know, everything you've seen everything, you've done everything. You are the, the consummate expert. And that's just unrealistic. Do not be afraid to fail because it's when we fail that we learn, that we grow. And to that effect, much like the Goblin thing, mm. you know, those players were running around all crazy. There was a brief pause, the situation changed, and then the DM or the GM could put forth their initial plan from there. As the GM, you hold control of this world. If you have two paths and down the left one is, you know, danger zone and down the right one is fields of gold and plenty, and they go down the left path, okay, well, they go through danger zone. But then maybe instead of that second path leading to, you know, gold and plenty, maybe it's because they went through the dangerous path that just beyond the dangerous path is the land of gold and plenty. Mm -hmm. Um, You can move things. You can take things that you've made, and this sounds ridiculously common and like Everyone should understand this. But you can take something you've made and just move it wherever you need it. It doesn't matter if it was like, oh, they fight the skeleton, then the zombie, then the knight, then the the evil wizard. Like, if they jump straight to the evil wizard, you can have those other characters show up afterwards or whatever, or later. Maybe they're not even a part of that fight now. The, the, The general is now even more powerful because the wizard was the only person who held them in check or whatever. Uh, You can adapt. You can move things forward. Just keep pushing. Just keep trying. And I guarantee you, you will get better.
0: All right. Now, that being said, our next episode that will be coming out for Gaming Theater Podcast will be on March 3rd, which will be the beginning of our season finale. And for those who are interested in what that would be, it's going over a brief history about the last 100 plus years of animation. And it's sort of a weird tale of your, to where we started to where we get here. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Anime Theater Podcast. And we hope that these little, help, little hints help you out. With that being said, this is Gaming Theater Podcast. Logging out. Bye, everybody.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: gaming theater podcast is hosted created produced and edited by leo garcia the
1: geek scorpio our music is a drinking game stock media
0: provided by stormwave audio slash pond five our
1: cover art is by adam parker
0: you can find him at parker gfx on twitter if you want to send us some financial
1: support to help with producing things for gaming theater you can do so at patreon.com
0: gaming theater presents it helps us out want to send support that doesn't hit your wallet please leave a review with wherever you hear your podcasts and share our
1: podcast with your friends it really helps out thank you for listening